But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who, has fallen, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of trumpets of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord, may God bless the reading of his word. You all can be seated. All right. If you're in Kid City and you haven't already gone back, you can start making your way back now. So get out your Bible to the book of First Thessalonians. If you do not have a Bible, would you just raise your hand? We've got a few Bibles we would love to get to you, and I'll even tell you what page number it's on. Just raise your hand up, and it's going to be on page 1090, 1090. Just raise your hand up, and we'll be happy to get that Bible to you. We're in this series called Establishing, where what we're saying is that God is establishing His presence in us so He can establish His presence through us. And we're in a part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians where he's teaching the Christians how they're to live out their Christian faith in a city that was dominated by secular thinking. So last week we talked about what the Christian sexual ethic is as revealed by Paul in this uh, chapter 4, earlier part of chapter 4. And, and we, we saw that God establishes boundaries uh, for our good. Well, this week we have a passage that helps us think about how the Christian faith makes us think differently about the afterlife. Now, I don't know what you think will happen when a person dies, but I do know what the prevailing cultural view was in Thessalonica. So what they believed was that there was no real hope of life after death. There's a popular inscription found in Thessalonica which read this, After death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. A well-known Greek philosopher, Epicurus, was often quoted on gravestones with these words, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. The prevailing cultural view during this time was that when somebody died, they just ceased to exist. So you really have two options for thinking about life after death. Option one, nothing exists. You die and are gone forever. You're like a match that just goes out. The other option is that something exists, that there is an afterlife. If you choose to believe that nothing exists after death, then your only hope is in the best that this life can offer. Now, you don't have to live in this world very long to get the sense that there has to be more than just this life and the best it has to offer. Job chapter 14, verse 1 talks about the earthly life is short-lived and full of turmoil. And I do think that within each of us is a sense that there is something other than just this life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says these words, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I believe if you search your own heart that you'll find an impulse to believe that there is more than just this life. 
Well, our passage today reveals some about what will happen after death. So there's this fledgling church in Thessalonica. Paul and Silas had been there. They shared the good news of the gospel, and then they got kicked out. But the Christian gospel spread, and so the church is growing. Timothy, one of Paul's uh, protégés, is going through Thessalonica, spends some time with the Christian church, and brings a good report to Paul and Silas about how they're living and how their faith and love for one another is so strong. But he also brings to Paul some questions that they have. And one of the things that they were confused about, like maybe some of you, is what happens to the Christian after that person dies. The main idea that I'm going to charge for today is Christians can grieve with hope knowing we have a glorious future with the Lord. Christians can grieve with hope knowing we have a glorious future with the Lord. So I think at this time it would be helpful for me to bring forward my, expert, my expertise on timelines. Okay, so I have a timeline for you. Here it is. Here's you. Just let it sink in. And um, maybe more important point than this one on the timeline is the next point, which just is a timeline. So here's you, and at some point in the future, you're going to be dead. If this doesn't apply to you, then you can leave now, but this is applying to most of us. Well, I want to help you kind of get a sense of what's happening here, and I'm going to do a very quick job of overviewing what the Bible says has happened in history and will happen in the end. But let's back up here a bit. Um, You may remember this timeline from the beginning of the series where we talked about uh, Jesus shows up and is talked about in the Gospels, and then Jesus is crucified. He's crucified to pay a penalty for sin that we cannot pay. He becomes the righteous sacrifice so that those of us that will repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is given to us and our sin goes to him, mysteriously goes to him on the cross. And it's the way God set the whole thing up because he loves us and he wants us to be at peace with him. And all of it is for his glory. So Jesus isn't talked about in the gospels. And of course, Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead, ascends into heaven. And, uh, and you can think of it like this, like, like Jesus goes up, all right? So, so whenever Jesus ascends into heaven, we can think about Jesus going up. And the reason that this is important is because as we talk about the end times, there is a point at which Jesus will come back down. So when Jesus goes up, Acts chapter 1 says, as they were looking on at Jesus, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Well, not only was Jesus lifted up, but a little bit later we, say, we see that the Holy Spirit came down. And um, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a moment in the church's history, kind of the, the birth of the Christian church, where anybody that will repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says that is a seal of our inheritance as believers in Christ. We get the Holy Spirit. So Jesus uh, goes up, um, the Holy Spirit comes down, and here you are, right? (laughs) You are in 2000, not 11, but 2020, uh, as we've seen God establish this new church, along with many other churches in 2,000 years of the church. 
And if we think about the timeline of like what's going to happen between here and the end, we need to think about this moment in the future that the Bible talks about as a final judgment. A final judgment. It's also called the great white throne judgment. So there is this period between here and or when, when the Holy Spirit came and the time where the end times will begin, where it's called the church age. Okay, we're in the church age, or I've heard it called the salvation era or salvation history. Right? It's the time that the gospel is being declared, being heralded, people are being saved. Well, there's a moment in time where the end times will begin. Okay? Now, there's lots of brilliant scholars that have different viewpoints on exactly what's going to happen during the end times. There's some difference in thinking about when exactly Jesus is going to return. So some people believe that Jesus is going to return before a 1,000-year millennial reign. Some people think he's going to return at the end of a 1,000-year millennial reign. Some people think that there's going to be a period of tribulation, a seven-year period of tribulation, that he'll return before it and get believers, or after it and get believers. There's, there's varying uh, viewpoints, and it's not my purpose today to tell you what uh, exactly is the right one, because I think there's really good argument for several of them, to be quite honest. And I don't know if you've heard this, you know, whether or not you're a premillennial, postmillennial, millennial uh, you know, whatever I, I tell people, I'm pan-millennial. Like, it'll all pan out in the end, right? <laughs> Jesus is going to return, and it doesn't matter when he's going to return or what's going to happen prior to him being returned. I just want to be ready, right? So Jesus is going to return. We're not exactly sure when he's going to return. The passage today is a description of what it's going to be like when he returns. But again, there's some debate as exactly when the passage is telling us he's going to return, and I'm not going to get into all that. So between now and the final judgment, if you were to die, what happens? Between now and the final judgment, if you were to die, what happens? Or if there's somebody that you love and they've died, what happens? This is the question that's on the minds of the Thessalonians. What happens when a person dies? It's not only a, a, a question on the mind of the Thessalonians, it's a question on all of our minds. Paul writes to declare to them what happens when a Christian dies. And he gets his teaching, verse 15 is important, by a word from the Lord. So this isn't a suggestion. This is actually what he's saying is like God told him about this specific situation. And it gives us a reason to grieve uh, with hope. And apparently there were some in uh, Thessalonica that were grieving without hope. So God gives a special revelation to Paul to tell them. Look at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Have you heard this verse read at a funeral? Raise your hand if you've heard this verse read at a funeral. It is quite often used at funerals, and I've used it many times at funerals. Because uh, in the moment of death, especially if it's somebody that we love, it can feel hopeless. We've all loved people who are no longer living. We've all sat at a funeral hoping that we'll see that person again. And this passage is written, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Life guarantees periods of grief, right? Some grieve with hope. There are two groups. Some grieve with hope. Some grieve without hope. All of us will grieve. Verse 14, those who grieve with hope Believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
And the purpose in verse 18, just as a reminder, we're to encourage one another with these words. Those who grieve with hope believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is the most important part of this entire section. There is a debate as to the timing of Jesus' return, but but no serious Bible scholars debate this point. It is only through faith in Jesus as Savior that you will spend eternity with God after you die. Let me say that again because I don't want to be unclear. Maybe you got distracted in that one moment as I'm reading it. There is no debate between or among serious Bible scholars about this one point. It is only through faith in Jesus as Savior that you will spend eternity with God after you die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of us are going to die. Have you heard of this satirical site, The Onion? Just raise your hand if you've ever heard it. Well, they ran a humorous article with a biting truth. It was entitled, World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. Here's what it says. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that, despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains at a constant 100%. Death a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern. (laughs) Responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide, the condition has no cure. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So what happens at death according to God's word? What the Bible says is that when you die, or as Paul is you're choosing the word sleeping. The idea is like you're sleeping and then you're going to wake up in eternity. So when you die, your soul immediately goes to either heaven or hell. It's not a sleep of the soul because there's other places where Paul writes that there's an absence from the body. Where there's an absence from the body, there's being present with the Lord. It's a sleep of the body in earth until it's resurrected, changed into a glorious body and reunited with the soul. So something happens at the moment that you die. Let's go on with the passage. When the time is right, Jesus will return. I hope that that stirs your heart a bit because it, for believers, is a very exciting thing. It's a very exciting truth. We should live with anticipation of this event, believing it could happen in our lifetime. Think of it this way. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you want to be married. Look around. (laughs) Whenever you set up a marriage ceremony in the future, you anticipate it. You're excited about it. You plan for it, right? What are some of the things that you have to do whenever that wedding date gets on the calendar? Somebody just shout it out. Prepare, do what? Invitations, what? Find a venue. Okay, what else? Cake, amen, amen, sister. What else? Find a a, a wedding efficient, that's exactly right. Uh, What else? Guest list. You have to tell people, right? 
And when you tell people, you're not saying like, um, hey, by the way, uh, would you July 3rd, you know, 2021, if you're not doing anything, you're like, hey, get married, see you there, save the date. I mean, if we're close, you will be there no matter what, right? And people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. You prepare for it and you plan for it financially, right? You, in some ways, organize very important parts of your life in preparation for that one day to anticipate that one event. This is how Paul felt as he talked about the return of Jesus. He believed it was going to happen in his lifetime. It was imminent. It was near. He believed that the time was short and his life reflected that. When the event is, we know it's going to happen, then the, we back up from that event. So we, we know that Jesus is going to return or that we're going to die and stand before Jesus as judge. And we're, we plan backing up from that event how we'll live today, just like we would at the wedding we're down the road. Let me tell you about the time that Jesus is going to return. Paul describes it here. It will not be quiet. Verse 16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Christ's return for his saints will be announced from heaven forcefully and dramatically. And when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now hang with me here. Verse 15. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Remember, the question is, for those Christians in Thessalonica, what has happened to our Christian brothers and sisters who have died? There's some rumors in the culture, in the world, of something else happening than what he's describing here. But they're concerned about it. Their hearts are heavy. They're grieving without hope. But Paul says you can grieve with hope because here's the deal. There will be a day when those that have died, their bodies in their ground and their, their souls are already with God, um, that they'll be raised. They'll be raised with Jesus. The dead bodies of those Christians that have already died will be reunited to their souls that are already with Jesus. And you say, well, that sounds weird. Um, like what? And you might say, well, what, what does a resurrected body look like? And I think about the fact that a God who created the universe out of nothing with a word is fully able to reassemble the decayed bodies of all his saints in a moment in time, right? But you still want to know what does a resurrected body look like? I don't know what a female body would look like, but I have a pretty good idea what a male body is going to look like. <laughs> So the dead in Christ will rise first, and then the alive in Christ will rise next. I was going to put a picture of myself up there, but it was just too far, too much of a stretch. (laughs) Then the alive in Christ will rise next. Verse 17, then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I love the second part of verse 17. It says, all those who are in Christ will always be with the Lord. All those that are in Christ will always be with the Lord. The Lord will take living believers to the place He is presently preparing for them. Do you remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 2? His disciples were concerned about Him leaving. And He says, take heart, essentially. Don't don't be discouraged. Here's what's happening. Chapter 14, verse 2 of the Gospel of John. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus is preparing a place for all those that die in Christ. 
You don't have to grieve without hope. You will grieve, and I will grieve. But we can grieve with hope, knowing that all those that die in Christ uh, will spend eternity with Jesus. But the emphasis here for Paul isn't even about the place or the what's happening at the place where we're going to spend eternity. It's more about being with Jesus. Uh, to go back to the marriage analogy, the most exciting thing about a wedding is not the ceremony or the cake or the invitations or the planning or the friends. No, it is that there is a, a, a unity between the bride and the groom before God. There's a connection. There's a relationship being had. Christians can grieve of hope knowing that we have a glorious future with the Lord. So it begs the question, have you begun a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking to yourself, well, there's somebody that was a really good person that I love a lot. And they were not a Christian. Does that mean that they're separated from God forever in hell? That is actually what that means. That's the teaching of the Bible. And for some of you, it may repel you from the gospel message. And I would hate for that to happen because what I really hope will happen is that you'll be drawn into it. It will create in you a desire to be used by God to invite all the people that you love into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that you have people in your life, and I do too, that are in the world standards, moral, good people. They're not as bad as some other people. But the Bible says that if you've not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell to pay the punishment for your sins. And so we, we talk about the timeline of like, you're here and you're going to die. The really important thing to think about is in that moment that you die, what will happen to you? Will we be able to grieve with hope or without hope? And you say, well, I am a Christian. I've been born again. I am a believer. And I would say, amazing. So who in your life is not? James chapter 4 describes our life in this way. Our lives are like a mist. That timeline, the time between when you were born and the time you're going to die, it's not here, it's here. What will you do with the gospel message? What will you do with the good news during this church age? Think about it. Will we grieve without hope for you? Or will we grieve with hope for you? Let's think on and pray about these things. God Almighty, I... um, God, my heart is um, full in this moment just considering how gracious you've been to me and how you've come to me.
God, for those that are here that feel like they're too far gone, I pray, God, oh, God, I pray that they would hear just the gentleness of your voice and the kindness of the good news. And God, that they would open their hearts in faith. God, that you would open their hearts in faith so that they may be at peace with you by having their sins forgiven. God, that you would truly give them new life in Christ. I pray that they'd cross that line of faith. And God, we can all think of people in our lives who, if they were to pass, God, we would not be grieving with hope. We would be heartbroken without hope. So God, I pray that you compel us on mission. We would organize our time and our energy and our resources and our talents and our programs as a church, our activities as individuals and as families to just be about the mission of Jesus, to invite people to faith in Christ. So I pray all these things for myself, my family, and for this beautiful church. So God, now we respond. Would your spirit just stir up in us? God, move in us. Fill us up. Convict us, encourage us, whatever you want to do. God, right now, at this time, I ask that you would work as we respond. We love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.